The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? In yogic philosophy, we'd say it's the, it's they are transmuting their karma. So, it becomes what's called dharma. Mm-hmm. So, from karma to dharma, and that is watering that seed of opportunity that we talked about a little earlier. That's in every challenge and pain. And so, when we transmute our quote unquote karma. And karma just being the accumulation of every choice we've ever chosen, good or bad. It's just we are where we are now on the back of every choice we've ever chosen. Again, that doesn't mean that if you're mugged, it's your fault. But if you turned left on a street and you were mugged, then the accumulation of every choice you chose got you to that point. It's not your fault, but you are there. Does that you know? Does that yeah. make sense? It's like so. Then, in in order to transmute every choice we've ever chosen. We start to try to use our attention and intention to create better choices. And if at the same time we do that, we can use it for the benefit and well-being of all, it turns from karma to dharma, which is our life's purpose, our mission in the world. That was a quick clip from this week's episode. Angelica Alana maybe has one of the most beautiful Instagrams I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not, you guys. I like just was in the hole of Instagram one night and I was scrolling through and I saw this girl's Instagram and I was like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. She's talking about spirituality. I'm totally here for it. And then I started learning more about her and I realized that I had to have her on the podcast. In this week's episode, we are diving a lot into spiritual practices and principles. And we're talking about her personal story too. Um, She had a challenging upbringing and moved to LA and found herself getting really off uh, course and diving into drugs and alcohol and the partying scene. And then she started a life coaching business. But here's where I think it gets really good. When people usually hear life coach, they think, oh, well, that's not accessible for me because the vast majority of people can't afford a life coach. So Angelica created an incredible online coaching platform that is so reasonably priced and available and accessible to all now, which I think is just such an incredible thing when we're able to give back and support people in this way. Um, So with that, I'm going to keep the intro short, let you guys know that I love you and that I'm so grateful for all the support, the book and the podcast and all of that. And with that, I hope you like this episode. We were just talking before we started rolling and we were talking about the importance of storytelling and talking about our stories. Mm. And so I want to hear a little bit about yours because I found that for every guide that I've ever encountered, there's usually a really deep and profound story that led you onto the path of um, spiritual and emotional growth work. Mm. 
deep and profound. I don't know. I'll let you guys be the judge of that, but certainly can share my story. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a home where one of my brothers was battling with addiction and mental health from, I would have been about 11. But of course there were things before that too. Fast forward to becoming a young adult, I moved away from my home and down to Sydney and then from Sydney to LA the first time. And so I guess the gift in growing up in that household is that it gave me a real insight into what happens when you don't take care of yourself um, and how high the stakes really are. It also gave me a window into mental health and being on visitation to someone in a mental health facility, you really get to see firsthand as well, like what happens and what addiction can do. And ultimately, again, what not taking care of yourself can do. And it also allowed me, I think it removed a lot of judgment because at that age, you're like, you know, 12, 13, 14, I think kids, you accept things more than adults do. So seeing people um, with mental health issues, it kind of um, instilled a sense of acceptance that these are human beings and they're simply finding it hard to carry the heavy burden of being themselves. And being an adult now, I can definitely relate to that, right? <laughs> of feeling like the burden of being yourself is a little too heavy to carry for a while. I guess the only difference is, is what do you turn to, to alleviate that pressure? Um, so yeah, then I moved away from home, was in the modeling and the entertainment industry, pursuing music, um, got really off track was always a spiritual, even a spiritual kid. My mum kind of introduced me to spirituality, not even because she was spiritual, but because I had sort of energetic sensitivities and she didn't really know what to do with me. <laughs> she was like, uh, I don't know about that, but maybe we should take you to a psychic or maybe we should take you to my friend who does angel cards or just trying to, trying to get me help essentially to, to navigate being a, an energetically sensitive little one. Um, so I always had that practice with me, but fast forward to being in, in the entertainment industry and being young, it kind of fell by the wayside and being 21 or 22 in Hollywood, you know, what you see on the movies and having celebrities around and it's very easy and it's a very seductive world. And, you know, at that age, I thought, oh, I'm so mature. I'm so grown up. <laughs> and I thought, you know, a lot of people were like, what are you doing? You can't move to America. How are you going to do that? And I was a tenacious little thing and um, stubborn and made it happen, but got here. And the truth, the truth is that I wasn't really prepared or equipped um, to deal with being a human and being an adult, let alone being thrown into that kind of um, beautiful chaos that is life and particularly the entertainment industry here in LA, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And so found myself um, partying too hard. And the the seductive or the tricky thing about this that I can see now is that it's so socially acceptable that you don't realize um, the damage that it's doing. And so it just got to a point where um, I had no self-respect. I had very little self-esteem. I had no healthy relationships around me. All of my connections back home in Australia, I'd pushed away and allowed to deteriorate because I was ashamed. I didn't want them to be close to me. So I was being very aloof and evasive. And it was at that point that I kind of came to a breaking point. I was just like, I feel 
physically, spiritually, emotionally and financially bankrupt. Like I just can't, there's, I can't keep doing this. Um, and so I turned back to that foundational, um, spirituality that I had. I turned back to crystals and back to yoga. Um, and a few years before that I'd trained in Bali as a yoga teacher. By that stage, I've been practicing for over 10 years, personal practice. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start leaning into that again. And then as I was doing that, I just started inviting friends around if they want to do yoga and crystals and card pulling. And they were all like, hang on a minute, this is you. Like every time you talk about music or modeling or we see like you're sad. And when you do this, like you're alive. The lights are on, yeah. Yeah. And they, and so it wasn't an overnight thing. It wouldn't be an accurate depiction for me to say. And then I got um, sober and healthy and happy and everything turned around. It was like, (laughs) it was a, a, you know, as Brene Brown said with her um, journey with vulnerability, she said, I love it. She says it was an all that slug fest. She pushed vulnerability pushback. So I feel like for me, walking into the light, walking into a healthy lifestyle, it was like I would push and then the old demons and the seductions would push back. And then it, you know, it took a couple of years at least. Yeah. I think that a lot of people think, oh, okay, so I'm just going to, I'm going to get on the in quotes right path Mm -hmm. and then everything's just going to fall into place. And I'm approaching nine years sober and the work is never done. Mm -mm. It's never done. I'm in a stage, particularly in this last year, that is so immensely painful. And I'm just like, okay, I've got to just be here with the pain of Mm. whatever this is that's coming up for me. And there are highs and lows in this journey, but you're never really done with the work. No. And you hit the nail on the head. It's like our ability to be with pain and our ability even to be with joy. Like, have you ever noticed we have this like upper limiting of like pleasure and joy, like how good can we stand it? And the same of like the pain, it's like this avoidance mechanism and we're not taught well, myself and plenty of other educators out there are doing our best to instruct people of how to be with all of themselves um, and not numb, you know, yeah. like we were talking about before we were recording, like pick your poison. Is it TV? Is it Instagram? Is it sex? Is it drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, whatever it is. But the, the root of it really is the same. It's I can't feel all of this. It's too much. I don't have this space or the strength. So we search for something to block it out. But. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing because part of me is like, okay, this world is too much. <laughs> we are expected to do too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a daughter in first grade and I look at the work and what I recall doing in first grade versus what she's doing now in this era of technology. I mean, they're doing coding in kindergarten, okay, which is (laughs) insane. And while I believe in human potential and our ability to be geniuses in our mind and our brain's capability, I also know that it can only handle so much stress. So there's mm. one aspect of it, right? Mm. Like this world, when when everyone goes, well, why do you think everyone's addicted to Xanax? It's like, look at the world we live in. Yeah, it's their nervous system. It makes complete sense why somebody would be addicted to Xanax and then need Adderall to pick them up from the Xanax. And then, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I mean? The whole like vicious cycle of it makes complete sense to me. Um 
And then also like the loneliness. We are far more lonely than we've ever been. And you spoke on that. You pushed away your friends from back home and then here all your relationships are really surface level and you're just left going like, okay, so I need to work really hard. I need to somehow survive in this crazy world. And I have no one that I really feel like I can lean on. And it's a perfect kind of recipe for disaster. And as much as I'd like to think as a parent, I'm giving my children the tools that they're going to need to be able, the tools, let's talk about tools. Okay, so (laughs) by a show of hands, anybody listening in in this room, like who was actually given the tools that they needed to properly handle, process and deal with their emotions and all of the stuff that came up in their childhood? Not me. Brian's raising <laughs> his hand. I I believe you, Brian. Brian, <laughs> Bless your Brian's parents, Brian. a saint. <laughs> um, Brian maybe was one of, you know what I mean? But the vast majority of people that I come in contact with, whether they have a history of alcohol, substance um, use disorder, or any other issue, eating disorder, or trauma, or whatever it is, they weren't. Mm. And so when we're not given the tools and then at 18 years old, we're off, right? We go to college and we try to kind of like patchwork together our lives. Well, we're not even aware. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you don't even, if you don't know there's a problem, it's very hard to solve it. Yeah. (laughs) It's like if you're not even aware that you have an inner world that requires tending to, it's quite difficult to tend to it. Yeah. I love how Brene Brown, she went on Russell Brand's podcast and they talked about, well, how did we get here? Mm -hmm. And she said, we have a complete lack of spiritual principles. And we're not talking about religion. Mm -mm. We're talking about basic spiritual foundation. She's speaking about humanity, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like our technology is is advancing so rapidly. Like you say, your daughter is learning coding in kindergarten. And yet are we evolving or supporting the evolution of those children's humanity and spirituality so that they can utilize the tools in a way that's in alignment with the best for themselves and for everyone else? I think I say this all the time that technology was meant to make our lives easier and it's made it vastly more complicated. It's like it has and it hasn't, you know, I think it's not the, it's not the tool, it's the users. It's like, if like Instagram could be an incredible tool, but most of us don't use it that way because we haven't got a certain level of consciousness and consideration Mm -hmm. and intention with the way that we use it. So it's like, we have to, or we get to evolve our humanity, evolve our consciousness, develop personally, whatever words you want to use, spirituality, personal development, same, same, you know, so that we can be in the world, not of the world. And I think you touched on it earlier with talking about, you know, trying to navigate being human and taking this thing to feel this way and then this thing to balance it out. And it's like that to me all comes from being in object referral is what we would call it in yogic philosophy, which means that I need the outside to be okay so that I can be okay inside. And what that sets us up to do is to be trying to control everything externally. And it's like, (laughs) I 
thought about this on the drive here. I'm like, this image just came to me. It's like trying to trim a wild jungle with nail clippers. And we're all sitting here with nail clippers <laughs> trying to yeah. control the external. Trying to make our perfect, into you a know, manicured like, garden. Mar- yes, yeah. I was going to say like the envision of like the bush that you turn into a giraffe. <laughs> right. And everyone's like showing one corner of their jungle on with a photo on Instagram that mm-hmm. they've like spent seven hours clipping with their clippers. But the truth is we're all, the, the life energy itself is chaotic and that's a beautiful thing. And so what we get to do is have or cultivate spirituality, you could call it, or in yogic philosophy, we'd say self-referral, capital S, self. So I like to think of it as spirit referral or soul referral, which means my inner world is managed and I'm okay because on the inside, I'm okay. Yeah. And what that gives us when we develop tools, when we develop a sense of spirituality, a sense of connection to self, it means that life can do what it does. Welcome to the beautiful chaos that is life. Yeah. We have flat tires and screaming babies and chaos and tragedy and trauma mm-hmm. and life is going to happen. But if we have our own backs and we have capital self spirit referral, it means that come what may, I will find a way to be okay because I am going to manage and regulate my own inner world. And in that, I'm free. And it is totally possible and we're living proof of it, but it's not something that happens overnight. And so I think that um, a lot of people go, okay, but where do I start? Because my external world and believe it or not, guys, a lot of that chaos is of your own making, mm-hmm. right? And I always talk about this too, how like the abuse that happened to me as a child was not my fault. Mm-mm. But then what I did as an adult to continue to abuse myself is my responsibility to deal with. Right. And my subconscious thought patterns and belief systems are mine to deal with. And so right. I think a lot of people get turned off when you say it's time to take responsibility for your life. And so what we're saying is, you know, not that it's your fault, but that you can change it. Exactly. So it's like we can be victimized, but not be a victim. We can have Mm -hmm. things that are unfair, not right and unjust happen to us. And the gift that we all have, there's a seed of opportunity in every challenge, but that seed doesn't bloom unless it's watered. And so the way we water it, when you, when you say the word responsibility, people say, oh, right. I don't know about that. And I felt that way too, you know, when I had to take mm-hmm. responsibility for the chaos that I'd created, not the external chaos, like you say, but the internal, internal. chaos. Yeah. And I went, well, I created this and there's all the good stuff. I didn't create that. But what people don't realize and what I didn't realize is that when I take responsibility, all of a sudden I'm empowered to create because if it's everyone else's fault and responsibility, then I have no power. I'm a victim. Yeah. And whereas when I say, okay, this is my responsibility, I get to respond with creative ability to every situation that comes up. I get to utilize the creative potential that I have as an infinitely powerful creator, right, in this world to therefore every time life makes a move, you go beautiful. Thank you, life. And, and now me how do I choose to respond? It's really that simple and not easy for sure. It's a moment to moment practice. Wouldn't it be nice if we just do this, do this, and then everything will be easy. If we are to assume that the whole point of this life game is to evolve our souls, then we can either engage with that evolutionary process. We can be active participants or we can wait for life to squeeze us so much that we have no choice 
but to move and to grow. And many of us wait for that. We wait for breakdown. I mean, I did. We wait for breakdown to break through, but it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to learn through pain. You know, pain can be there, but we can be engaged with the evolutionary process. We can be, you know, active in our cultivation of, or how we cultivate our inner world. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms. Getting on the spiritual path is certainly not the easy ticket out either. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm just going to quit drinking or, you know, deal with my divorce or stop cheating on my spouse or whatever it is. And then everything will be you know, golden. I'm just going to live like a very clean and simple life. Um, But doing these deep dives into our souls is often a really painful experience. It can even, I love that book. What is the book about back pain? John Sarnos. How like all of your back pain is just emotional pain and how you can heal it. Like if you can just get to the root of the emotional pain Mm. And it is true, you know, what our subconscious programming is becomes our thoughts and our Mm -hmm. thoughts become our reality and often our physical bodies. And Mm -hmm. so doing this work can be really challenging, but it is so worth it because Mm -hmm. there's moments and in the beginning, especially they're small, but as they begin to grow and you begin to get the tools it becomes much easier. It's like, oh, wait, I can feel this negative thought cycle coming up. I need to pause. I Mm. need to take care of myself. I need to take a step back. I need to do whatever it is to um, address that. So after you came to, because you developed an entire online program, and I want to dive into that now so we can talk about the tools, Mm -hmm. right? So after you decided, okay, I'm going to leave, you left LA. You said, okay, mm-hmm. so you're doing this work with your friends and such. And then you decided you were going to leave LA for a little while. Yeah. So I left to London and um, arriving in London had really decided that I wanted to go another way. And of course the pendulum still swung. Like again, it wasn't overnight, but moving there, I decided, okay, I want to actually teach yoga. So I started in studios And then really quickly developed a one-to-one client base. And then from there, all of a sudden, my clients wanted to talk about, I guess, all the work that they would see me doing, all the the self-study I was doing. And they were like, well, wanting to talk about sex with their partner and their relationship with their mom. And all of a sudden, I'm taking clients grocery shopping and teaching them how to cook plant-based stuff. And I was like, hang on a minute, I've only got 15 minutes left for yoga. Like, you know, and at that time I was only 24, 25. I'd never met a life coach. So I didn't even know what that was, let alone felt confident enough to be claiming that. So I just used to call it yoga on and off the mat. And my clients would just say, you know, just book a session with Angel. You'll see. <laughs> You'll see when you when you meet her, what she does. And, and it was kind of this more holistic approach, I guess, to lifestyle and the physical practice of the asana of, of yoga. Um, 
And so then I developed the life coaching business that I ran for several years and that I loved, but it got to a point where I kind of felt like, okay, this is great. And I, and I want to charge what I'm worth. And, and I know that the impact I'm making on these individual lives is worth that. But what about the people that can't afford one-to-one coaching? And so I got it in my head that I wanted to democratize the life coaching industry. And of course my partner was like, Oh, here she goes again. Um, <laughs> really tall order. And, um, I'm definitely working on it. And so my idea was how can I bring the same tools that I offer to my clients you know, that all, all the people in this industry have the thousand dollar price tag on, but how can I give it to people um, in a format they can understand? So words that are not going to alienate them if they're like, what the hell does that mean? Or like, I'm not yet there. And also at a price point that people could really afford. And yeah, so I guess the tools, it's like, you got to start simple. I always say start simple and simply start. It's like, if we make something so, so big, whether it's a dream or goal that we make this really huge vision or, you know, whether it's the lifestyle choices, the, the life we want to be living, if we make it so big, we can keep it so far away that we never have to actually act on it. Whereas if you just start with, okay, I realize that my nervous system is overstimulated. I realize that because I'm overstimulated, I'm feeling anxious. I've got all these images, TV, screens, people calling me, emails, social media. It's like, whoa, that's a lot. So what do we need? We need space. People say, oh, but that's boring. And I say, well, it could be boring or it could be the opposite of stimulation, which could also be relaxation. So how do we start to cultivate more space? Well, we know meditation, right? And one minute is better than no minutes. Then we also address things like food. How do we start to cook food that doesn't have lots of sugar, that is whole foods? We do plant-based cooking. It's not to say that you can't add other things in, but I think no one's going to argue that knowing how to eat more vegetables and make them taste good. Yeah, it's like, right? (laughs) So starting there as well. And again, simple, you might start with just cooking yourself one meal a day. If you are, you know, eating out every meal, or if that sounds like too much, maybe you cook your family one meal a week that's healthy, mm-hmm. just starting somewhere. And then if we have the physical practice, so the yoga and, you know, who else can resonate with this? You're not feeling good. And of course, I, I like to think of it as like part X, me and my friends always talk about like part X is the aspect of you that's in resistance to living a healthy, happy life. It's like that self-sabotaging, Eckhart Tolle would call it the pain body. Yeah. Right. And you know, when we don't feel good, we're like, I'm just going to sit here and like claim more of this energy essentially. And so what always helps me is yoga, go for a walk, go move your body. So that's why giving people the gift of learning how to practice yoga, I think is is a really essential tool that we can all start with. Yeah. I think it's great. And um, I, I looked onto your website. So the program is called Lit Up for Lit Up for Life. And so if you go on, you can get a free seven days, right? Mm -hmm. So in that first seven days, I'm assuming that the program grows with you as you're growing. So in the first seven days, you're just going to get access to all of the content. So it's a content library we have, which is our life coaching library. We've got tutorial, hundreds of hours of tutorials on everything from how to have more soulful sex, how to communicate through a trigger, tips for better sleep, Um, all that kind of stuff, organization, productivity. We have meditations, we have yoga tutorials and we have plant-based cooking tutorials. Mm -hmm. And then as of January, we're um, releasing what would be their specific wellness program. So users will log on, they'll get their plant-based meal plans 
for the week. So all of their recipes and menus planned out for them. They'll get their yin and their yang yoga tutorials. So one for like rest and sleep and one that's like going to get you sweaty and active. And then they'll get their meditations morning and evening. And then they'll also have access to a live training once a month where last week we did one on intention and desire. So it's like all about how do we manifest essentially like what is manifesting and is it possible to do it in alignment with the good of all so you know how do we rectify success and spirituality ambition and wellness so things like that we do live trainings on I have sex therapists on or relationship coaches and yada yada who knows maybe we'll get you on one of them (laughs) okay and um yeah 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 I think it's um here's the thing with the wellness space a lot of us are saying the same thing Oh, yeah. Get down to the basics. Mm-hmm. Food, self-care, slowing down, mm-hmm. connecting, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then there's some branching off to other, you know, options, right? And everybody has to figure out what works best for them, but it can be so oversaturated and then really expensive. And mm-hmm. that's why I like the fact that you're making this accessible to people because The truth is, so I became a doula after I had my first daughter and I had a really bad birth experience. Mm. I was planning a home birth and had an emergency C-section and I didn't like the way that I was in the hospital. And so I became a doula, right? Mm. And um, I realized, you know, I, I started out really low, but as I started taking more and more births, my pricing went up and up and up. Mm. But what I found was I'm in a space where I can help. Everybody deserves a doula when they give birth, but not everybody can afford a doula, you know? And we work really hard and it's true. Sometimes we're at birth for 48 hours at a time and it's exhausting and you're tired and Mm. you haven't slept and you're giving your whole energy body to somebody else, Mm. right? Or multiple people. But what I realized was, okay, so what can I do to help? And so Mm. now it's like, okay, I take two or three low-income births a year. Yeah, totally. So that way people have that experience. And I'm reading this incredible book right now, not reading, audibling, (laughs) called It's Not Your Money. Mm. And it's such a good book. It's all about how you're always provided for. It's just about, and I could see that even back, I mean, I did not grow up, we didn't grow up with a ton of money. Um, I mean, there was periods when my dad's career was really well, but then there was years and years when he was homeless and we were on food stamps, right? When I know, when I look back on my life and even going to jail multiple times and the heroin and all of the stuff, that I was being divinely like carried through all mm. of those experiences. Mm. And so what I realized was um, that the whole money thing, it's like, if the more I give, the more just divinely flows my way when I can be generous. And that's not to say everybody should just give their time for free. And I'm not advocating for that at all, but making it obtainable and it becomes Mm. the ripple effect, right? Because then people are like, oh, I healed from this and you can too. Mm. And if we really want to heal our planet, it starts with our own individual consciousness. Yes. It's shifting from being a consumer to being a creator. Yeah. 
It's not to say that you won't consume certain things, but instead of unintentionally consuming, consuming online shopping, um, consuming content on Instagram, consuming drugs, consuming alcohol, because we're like, I can't remember who said it, hungry ghosts. It might have been Deepak Chopra. Dr. Gabor Mate, the realm of the hungry ghosts. Gabor Mate, yeah. yeah. So it's like we're, we're searching again, that's object referral. We're trying to get acquire in the external world to fill a hole on the internal and it's not going to happen that way. Yeah. And another point you made around um, giving, so that kind of ties in. It's like when we start realizing that we are powerful creators, mm-hmm. that we don't have to continually consume, all of a sudden we start not creating to exchange, but creating for the sake of creation itself, because that's the essence of who and what we are. So whether you are creating greeting cards for your friends and families or yes. baking cupcakes or you know giving a couple of doula sessions away in during the year or whatever it is but it's like getting more into that creative energy and that is life force energy and that is abundance because what is money other than an exchange of energy it's like i walk into a store and you know the person who grew the food the person who harvested the food, the truck driver who drove it to the facility, the people who put it together. And then all of a sudden there's a cupcake. And I then say, oh, the energy that was put into this is equal to the energy that I put in for coaching um, this person for however many you know minutes that is worth the cupcake. Yes. Okay. I'll exchange my energy. Yeah. And so when we start to see it as this exchange of energy, we can see how people get discouraged if they don't have, if they've been disenfranchised and disempowered. So it's like, how do we take our own inner power back to realize that we are powerful creators, that we have something to offer the world. And that energy creates a sense of, instead of scarcity, generosity. And again, generosity doesn't have to be money. It can be, I've got something to give. I add value. And when I add value, I can go into a room and feel like I have a sense of self-respect And therefore I can give, even if it's a flower or a compliment or my attention or my focus or, you know, whatever it is. And I'd encourage everybody to think like, what is something that I enjoy doing? Mm. And I think you'll be amazed when you give something so freely, you're really doing it for you because it feels so good. I mean, in my early years of sobriety, I was in AA really actively and now no longer, but my sponsor and many others used to say, I help you in this meeting, not for you, but for me, because Mm. it's like this exchange of like, you know, of giving loving kindness. I receive that back in other areas of, of my life in really profound ways. And you do quickly when you, you know what I mean? I have this mantra now, one of my healers that I work with. He's actually my physical therapist, but he also happens to be a healer. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, when someone cuts you off, just say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. And I love you. Yeah. It's called Ho'oponopono. Yes. yes. So I now just repeat that all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, even at my six-year-old who's throwing her Barbies out and saying, Mm -hmm. I don't have any toys and throwing a tantrum of Mm. uh, about whatever. I'm like, I'm sorry, please forgive me. (laughs) Thank you and I love you. And it literally just like lifts the whole thing. It's like, whatever, someone cuts you off, whatever. Someone cuts you in line, okay. You know what I mean? It's like... Ho'oponopono, they say it's an ancient Hawaiian healing method. I think a doctor Mm -hmm. that invented it, it's said 
that he went to prisons and yep. healed like mental health facilities, all whole hosts of people yeah. just through getting them to repeat this prayer and repeating this prayer on their behalf or yeah. blessing mantra, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I think it is so powerful um, because we talk about like consciousness shifts and while it's more than I do an affirmation at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. Right. And I encourage people to say it throughout the week if it resonates with them, like mm-hmm. stick it on your, you know, mirror in the morning mm-hmm. on a post-it note or in your car mm-hmm. on the visor or whatever it is in the hopes that, you know, when people are reading, like I am capable of loving myself, mm-hmm. you know, that eventually that kind of starts to sink in and while the process of changing our subconscious is more than that it's a great place to start yeah it's a great tool because you're you know what you place your attention on grows and what you withdraw your attention from withers and dies and the combination of attention and intention is very powerful so with a mantra what we're doing is we're focusing our attention on an intention, right? So not only just reading it, but really trying to get the feeling in your body. It's same as like we talk about gratitude a lot today. And it's like, yes, start somewhere and start simple and simply start. And there's no point just listing things out if you're yeah. not going to try and cultivate the feeling in the your body. The feeling, yeah. So really for the listeners as well, that's a, a, a practice to really consider is read those mantras place your attention on those words and then try to fill those words with intention. And you could even supercharge it by being like, okay, from the elevated emotion of this mantra, how could I take action? How could I create in the world from this place? What's one simple thing I can do today from the place of what was the mantra you gave? I am capable of loving Loving myself. myself. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to touch on something you said before too. You were talking about the idea of generosity and when you were in AA and how people say, I help you and it helps me. Because I think this is important and especially for people who are um, in a painful place or in recovery, it's, it's, that is actually very true. And in yogic philosophy, we'd say it's, it's, they are transmuting their karma. So it becomes what's called dharma. Mm -hmm. so from karma to dharma and that is watering that seed of opportunity that we talked about a little earlier that's in every challenge and pain and so when we transmute our quote-unquote karma and karma just being the accumulation of every choice we've ever chosen good or bad it's just we are where we are now on the back of every choice we've ever chosen again that doesn't mean that if you're mugged, it's your fault. But if you turned left on a street and you were mugged, then the accumulation of every choice you chose got you to that point. It's not your fault, but you are there. Does that, you know, does that yeah. make sense? It's like, so then in, in order to transmute every choice we've ever chosen, we start to try to use our attention and intention to create better choices. And if at the same time we do that, we can use it for the benefit and well-being of all, it turns from karma to dharma, which is our life's purpose, our mission in the world. And I think you see in sobriety, and I'm sure you can attest to this, the people that do the best are usually those who are also in service to supporting others on that journey. Yeah, I think... Something I learned really early on is that humility is the answer here. Mm. And I went in with just so much inflated ego as a defense. Mm. And when I was picking up cigarette butts outside and stacking chairs and doing Mm. all the things that I thought that I was way too good to be doing, Mm. I just started having these moments. And 
we talked earlier about space. It's like these moments when you're away from the phones and connected and having that eye to eye or doing whatever task it is, it allows for snippets of of space that we mm. don't usually pay attention to because our thinker is constantly thinking mm. um, of like profound things like, oh, I'm no different than that person who just walked in one day sober. Mm. And I'm also no different than that person who's 20 years sober. And the answer is just being here mm-hmm. now where I'm at. And it's like, okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, so diving into that, you know, humility of I'm no better than I'm, I'm no worse than, mm-hmm. um, and moving into service. Yeah. It allows that, um, that mission to kind of come to light. Yeah. We remember that we are intrinsically linked and connected mm-hmm. to all other things. And even science shows us now when we get down to the quantum level, the essential components of all things, the edges blur. We are not yeah. as separate as we think we are. And I think any spiritual practice, any religion, they all have a similar message. And the similar message is this idea of oneness, that the universe is your extended body. So therefore, if I am to judge or hurt another, I am really hurting myself. If I poison the well of that person's energy with my judgment or my condemnation, I'm poisoning the well I drink from. And I think what you're sharing about this idea of humble service, it reconnects us to the fact that we are all connected. And when I serve others, I serve myself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We've been, the theme, I feel like as of late on this podcast (laughs) is Joe Dispenza's work. And Mm. he's, if I'm going to say it for the fifth time, if you haven't, first it was Brene Brown. Now I'm on a Joe Dispenza kick. And if you have not read Becoming Supernatural, might I suggest that you do. Um, I think if people in recovery, he's had the book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself is also a fantastic read. I feel like Becoming Supernatural really included so much of that in the beginning. Like I I almost feel like the first half that I was listening to of Becoming Super, I'm like, I've already read this and Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. But yeah, both books are great. Yeah. Um, And learning how powerful we are and how capable we are of mm-hmm. changing our internal and external reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just talk about power, right? Coming into your own power. You said the pendulum swinging. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thought that I came in that came into mind um, was right now, politically in the U.S., we're seeing, especially in the Democratic Party, like people who are like, they're too far left, they're centrist, they're not far left enough. Mm-hmm. There's all of these kind of rubs that we're at right now. I think we're in a mode of attack and defend. Mm. And if we are becoming, if we're really doing the work and becoming more intentional, I believe that we will be able to get so much farther 
Totally. This um, is that object referral that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. It's that external referral. And what happens is, again, in yogic philosophy, we would say we're aiming for defenselessness, which means mm-hmm. not that I allow you to do things to me, not that I don't have steel clad boundaries. No, of course, that is the intention too. But it means there's nothing to defend or protect. I don't have to defend my self-image. So therefore, I don't have to control your perception of me. And what happens when we live in a world of people and object referral, we live in a world where everyone's trying to control how people see them, which is their ego, who I think I am. And therefore, I waste a lot of energy on who you think I am (laughs) instead of, I think, as you're saying, that the real evolution and revolution happens within each individual first when we can evolve our humanity, then we all start being more conscious creators and consumers, then we start pushing an economic sort of ideal that is more geared towards consciousness. And then that economic ideal that's geared towards conscious consumption pushes policies to shift. And then when, you know what I mean? And then everyone catches up. But it's interesting. I was talking to my husband the other day. It's not Mm anti-materialism. It's that we care so much about our materials. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not, let's, Nobody become materialistic. It's like, Mm. let's be really conscious about the way that we are consuming and Mm -hmm. using Mm -hmm. everything that we consume and use, which is created by this incredible planet that we live on. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's that intention. I think that at the moment we have a lot of open loops. If you went into a forest, there are no open loops. There's no trash in a forest. Feces become fertile soil. Mm-hmm. Dead bodies decompose into fertile soil. It's like everything regenerates. It's a closed loop. If you look at our society, because we are so disconnected from our intrinsic connection to all things, we think we're separate. Because we think we're separate, we don't think we have to work within the natural system. Because we don't think we need to work within the natural system, we create open loops, which means that everything I do costs something, someone, somewhere. So, you know, we need a revolution of consciousness that allows us to revolutionize our systems to be regenerative, closed loops, things that work in harmony with nature, you know, zero waste. These kinds of things are not new ideas. This is how nature operates. Yeah. Yeah. That's been another theme that I've been talking about lately. It's like people are like, well, where did we go wrong? And it's when we started idolizing the individual over the collective. Mm. And that's when we lost, it's kind of almost like at the beginning of, in quotes, civilization, we became less civilized. (laughs) Yeah, less connected, perhaps. And I think that, you know, I'm an eternal optimist. And I do believe that our world, we are in in a position where we're have less violence than ever before. We have a better distribution of resources, although there's a long way to go than ever before. You know, there are, we're definitely living in a a great time. Um, There's a great book, I think it's called The Rational Optimist. And Mm. it's, it's true. I do believe there's a long way to go, but I also believe that I believe there's a divine plan, as you said for yourself, that you were divinely carried through even the most darkest of times, which was the fire the furnace that forged you into the steel and the spiritual strength that you have and that, you know, the community you're building and everything, the impact you're making now is all because of the fires you were forged in and myself too. And as a collective, you know, we can see that as individuals, it's like, okay, as a collective, you know, life sometimes as an individual forces you into, into 
breakthrough because of breakdown. And my optimistic hope is that the pressures that are being put on us as a collective now will inspire us to come together to innovate and to recreate so that we can harmonize this chaos at least a little. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really important that, yeah, that we do focus on those positive things. We still need to be very alert and vigilant and all Mm. of that stuff too. But yeah, again, going back to the idea that if we want to change anything, it starts with our own consciousness. Mm -hmm. How we show up into every and all scenarios. It's like, I always say to clients, the energy is the soil from which your entire life blooms. Every thought, every word, every action, the energy that you bring into every situation, which will allow you to creatively respond. If there is a challenge or a situation that needs your response, the only way that we can really do that from a calm and creative space is if we are tending to our own energy. Well, with that, that was so much knowledge. Hopefully you guys absorb that (laughs) or go back and listen to this episode again because it was so good. Where can everybody find you? Uh, You can find me at litupforlife.com. Otherwise I'm on Instagram. It's kind of a long one at Angelica Alana, a lot of A's, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A. This week's affirmation is, Forgiveness is a gift that I choose to give to myself. I let go of resentment and embrace peace. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 